0: today if you'll stand with me this morning we'll turn to the book of john chapter number 20 amen to our guests we say welcome thank you for being here with us amen this morning in the house of the lord and this does never have to be your uh, first and only time let it be the first of many times amen we appreciate that as brother malone said yes things this coming week in chattanooga are live you'll be able to find that at the assemblies of the lord jesus christ Uh, Facebook page, and that'll be taking place there. And so you can listen in at different times throughout the week. John chapter number 20. I'm going to start with verse number 19 and read through the end of the chapter. uh, If we can here today, the Bible says, then the same day at evening, Uh, Just to remember what happened. Jesus is resurrected. Uh, Peter and John has ran to the tomb. Mary has witnessed uh, the Lord. And so now this very same day that the resurrection has happened at even being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he shewed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print. Of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and My God. Jesus saith to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Amen. This morning, for the next few moments, we want to talk about just simply believe simply believe. Amen. Let's pray today. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We need you, Lord. We're grateful, God, for your resurrection. We're thankful today for that, God, and Lord, for our opportunity to witness, God, that new birth, Lord. We could call it in our own lives. We're grateful today. I pray, Jesus, you're able to touch our minds, Lord, anew and afresh as we look at your word, God, and its application to our individual lives. God will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you accomplish in Jesus' name that I pray Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus name. We'll note both here in verse number 19 and later in the reading of this text of verse number 26 that the Bible says both instances whenever the disciples were gathered together one minus thomas one when thomas was there that when they were together that the bible says that the doors of the place where they were gathered were shut or the doors were closed there are even some renderings of the words there that the doors were locked and each time then when jesus visited them at this location these doors were shut or locked the bible says this was because the disciples feared. The Jews, no doubt because of what has just happened to their Lord and master, Jesus Christ. I mean, he is just being taken to a cross, crucified uh, for the things that he has stood for, for uh, who he was. And so they have this association with Jesus. It's kind of like... During the trial of Jesus, whenever different ones are coming to Peter and saying, aren't you one of them? There's that association that these disciples had with the Lord. And so they're a little afraid because what would keep what would keep these rulers uh, just to stop at taking the life of Jesus and not also want to take perhaps the life of some of those that followed him or that was associated with him. So they're gathering behind locked doors. And nonetheless, though, the Bible says that Jesus came and stood amid them, though the doors were locked, though the doors were shut. He came and stood amid them. Just as a little side note here, getting uh, not really a side note, I guess, but a little personal commentary, if you might say it, uh, concerning this this morning, I'm thankful for the times that we gather behind closed doors that Jesus shows up. I'm I'm thankful for the times that uh, we may even close our heart's door uh, because of our heart's anxiety or uncertainty, and it's... Here's the fact of the matter. A closed door was no competition to the Lord at this stage. A locked door was no competition to the Lord at this stage. It was no competition for his presence. Again, the door, whether it was closed or whether it was locked, Jesus showed up amid them, in their midst, among them, amen, during these times that they had some very uncertain things going on in their lives. And I am certain that Christ is, Our Lord is still able to show up in our lives during any time, any place, and bring peace. Those were the first words that he spoke. He said, peace be unto you, and bring peace to any situation or even emotional situation, the feelings that we may be experiencing at that time. And so the fact of the matter is this earthly limitations, a closed door being gathered together in a place behind that earthly limitations in his resurrected state, because this is Jesus resurrected, did not bind or limit Jesus. All right. A closed door did not pose a problem to him. Uh, There are no doubt in these, this life that we live, there are some temporal limitations that we are limited by. There are some enticements in the world being a part of the makeup of the world that we may fall pray to here below as we are walking in our lives in this world below, but hopefully the power of our new birth experience. And when I say that the power of receiving the infilling of the Holy ghost Christ in us, the hope of glory hopefully that power enables us even as the resurrected jesus did to break through and break free from some of these earthly constraints that we find day in and day out i've noticed in my own life that earthly limitations fade away whenever i step into the realm of his spirit Day by day, those things pass away. And so we can be freed from some of those constraints. Second Peter chapter number one and verse number four reads as this. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. That's that resurrected nature. That's that new birth. Having escaped the corruption. That is in the world through lust, the divine nature. We partook of the divine nature when we were filled with the spirit of the Lord or when you are filled with the spirit of the Lord, when you shall be, I'm speaking of promise when you shall be filled by the spirit of the Lord, you take on a divine nature. Amen. A divine nature. Amen. You take upon your human nature. Amen. And so God came down. One of the great purposes of the Lord ever leaving his home in glory and coming down and walking among us in the likeness of a man. He became human so that us humans could partake of what was divine. That was one of the grand plans of the Lord. Amen. To become like him, he became like us first. Amen, and we're appreciative of that. And whenever we take on the divine nature, the promise of the holy God, the promise of the Holy Ghost, provides for us an escape route from the corruption of this world, from the destruction, the decay, the death of this life, even that which would be found in the afterlife. Our escape route from all of that is being born again of the water and the Spirit. Amen. Uh, because if we have not the spirit of Christ and we are none of his, then we have the same destiny, the same go, the same inheritance as every man that's been born from Adam. And every man born from Adam has the Adamic nature, a nature that's a fallen nature, a nature that is we are born into sin. David said, he said, we are shapen into iniquity and the wages of sin. The book of Romans tells us is Death. There is no hope. We are hopeless in that state. But a new birth experience, being born again of the water and the spirit and being able to take on the divine nature, it, it, it is an escape route from the corruption of this world while we're living in it and for our life to come in the afterlife. Amen. And so these things, these things are expected, of course, in our world. There's going to be corruption. There's going to be destruction. You can look all around you. There's going to be lust. There's going to be the effects of the human nature and the human desire. But again, the divine nature provides us power to rise above all of those things and provide a way of escape. It, it allows us to be able to control our natural tendencies. Our natural tendencies when we participate in his nature. All right. Jesus showed the disciples whenever he showed up the first time in John 20. He showed the disciples, minus Thomas. Thomas was not there at this time. He showed all the other disciples his hands and his side. He showed them his wounds of his body. The wounds, mind you, of his crucifix of being put upon Calvary. Uh, many times, and even still yet today, uh, people's scars in their body, bodies are used for identity. Even still yet today, if you have uh, not a temporal but a permanent scar, sometimes that can be used in order to identify You, We don't want to ever have to do that, but they can be used to identify you because these scars that Jesus had notice of his hands and his side in particular, these things that he had was nothing more but testaments of having been crucified, right? Amen. Any though, here's the thing though that sets Jesus different from anybody else. Uh, For instance, the other two uh, malefactors that were placed upon the trees to the left and the right of Jesus that were crucified the same time that he was, they could have shown up and they could have showed their hands and their feet. But Jesus showed them their his hands and his side. That sets him aside from every other individual crucified. Hands and feet pierced, yes. But he was pierced through his side, the Bible tells us, right? And blood and water came out by his scars. By the scars of his suffering of Calvary, the disciples knew the Lord. They recognized that this is the Christ because of the scars that were in his life, his woundings of Calvary, particularly his side that set him apart from anybody else. They knew it was the Lord. And the Bible says that they were glad to see the Lord. They were joyful. Whenever, listen, whenever you find what you thought was lost, anybody ever lost anything? Y'all lying bunch of liars out here i'm dealing with lost keys lost wallet lost checkbook didn't remember where you put your purse oh yeah now we get nitty-gritty you know how overjoyed you are if you spent half an hour looking for what you thought was nowhere to be found and you found it and you're like "Ah," right these disciples whenever jesus was laid in the tomb they thought it was over I know he told them that he had rise the third day, but every one of them really didn't believe that. We had proof of the Bible. Even after some had said they had already seen the resurrected Lord, many of them still didn't believe. They thought they had lost something that could no longer be found. But whenever he comes into a room that was locked, that no one had opened a door to him for, Whenever he entered a room in the middle of their fear and their emotional upheaval. And he said, look at my hands. But then he said, look at my side. They saw the Lord. They knew him. They were glad. They were joyful. Because the very thing that they thought they laid in the grave is not in the grave. The very thing that they thought was dead is not dead it is alive and so it's And this is the typical response even in God's Word for people to be glad and joyful it's the natural response when you come across something that you thought was lost right because the, the in Luke 15 the shepherd that had 100 sheep and there was one sheep that went away astray the Bible says he left the 99 and he went seeking after the one and whenever he found the one the Bible tells us quite plainly that he rejoiced finding the one last lamb and he places it upon his shoulders and he he returns back home and then in the next story the lady who had ten coins and lost one the Bible says she was sweeping the house and she was searching for the one lost coin and when she found it she even encouraged her neighbors to join in with her over rejoicing what she found that she thought was lost forever and then the father who had two sons and one went to a far country spending all that he had on riotous living thinking the boy was never going to come back but when he's seen him approaching the father goes out and runs out to him kisses his neck and he throws a party when he's seen something that he thought was forever gone is actually found. It brings joy. It brings gladness. It is a natural response. For that matter, Notice the father's words to the elder brother in Luke 15, 32. It's the second portion of this verse. Notice the father's words to the elder brother. He says, thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. The father equates his son being lost to his son being dead. And then his presence back. As his son being alive. The disciples. If if a father could rejoice over a son that was just gone and back. Then surely the disciples can rejoice and be glad. Over a Christ that they saw die upon a tree. But is alive again in their presence behind closed doors. That nobody had to open to him. The father even said to the elder son. He said we should make Mary and be glad. How much more. Folks, when we come together, that is a great reason why to lift up hands, clap hands, rejoice, because our Savior that went to a cross and died for us did not stay dead. He got back up. He steps into our locked rooms and our emotional upheavals, and he brings peace in the midst. That's a reason to be glad. That is a reason to rejoice. The disciples, again, they recognize the Lord By the marks, really, of his suffering. By the marks of his suffering. And many people, even today, church, not in church, many people come to the recognition of the Lord Jesus Christ through the traces of our sufferings. You're part of the church. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. You're part of the church. And so, whenever you suffer, sometimes people recognize the goodness of God, the reality of God, of how you trans, uh, you walk through your journey of suffering in this life. When different physical elements and things come up on you, or things turn sideways in your life, many people's looking at the body of Christ and how you walk through that because you have His divine nature. Right, how you walk through that then sometimes can give evidences of proof to them concerning the Lord and about the Lord. Mary saw him. The Bible says, as we studied uh, last week, Mary saw him when she heard her name spoken by him. She recognized him in that moment when he said, "Mary." She was like, "Rabbi," or she said, "My my master, my teacher." But his disciples saw him in this context when he shared the marks of his suffering with them. The Bible says in 1 Peter four sixteen, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him, and, and let me back up here. Christian, just simple meaning, most know, means Christ-like. If anybody suffer being Christ-like, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on his behalf. Why? Because there could be a revelation, a a recognizing of somebody around you, of Christ in your life by how you are walking through your suffering. Now, when Jesus was with the disciples here, and John is not, much different really than some of the other gospels because as you get toward the end of every other gospel matthew mark luke and including john uh, jesus commissions his disciples he sets them out on a mission he commissions his disciples and so when you read the gospels you're reading for for a long time about the life of christ the ministry of christ and then it, it kind of culminates or it comes to the end, and Jesus commissions then the people. Because the, the reality is, you cannot have the life and the ministry of Jesus presented without commissioning you on a mission. The Bible tells us that Jesus sent his disciples. You can read of this in the scripture that I read to you this morning in verse 21. Jesus sent the disciples, even us, might I say, being modern day disciples. He sent us into the world as he was sent into the world. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, said, I am the the light of the world. In his earthly ministry, he said, I am the salt of the earth. But now he commissions us to be that salt. He commissions us to be that light. And he says, "Even even as I was sent, then so I send you. And so we must do as he did. We must do as he did. We must be intermittent. We say, well, Brother McGee, I can't heal anybody. Well, neither can I. But I've taken on his divine nature and I can be instrumental in someone else's healing. I can't deliver anybody in of myself, but I got the spirit of Christ living inside of me. I can be instrumental in someone else's deliverance. As a man, I can't save anybody, Brother Mason. But I have the spirit of the Lord. I have the gospel message. And by propagating that, preaching that, teaching that, I can be instrumental in somebody else's salvation. And so he has commissioned us, right? Because a few days removed from now, he's going to ascend into the heavens. And guess what? We become then those hands we become those feet we become that voice of the lord the bible says and this is our assignment according to mark 16 verses 15 through 18 just another gospel speaking about this commission the words were this many of you know these he said jesus go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature in that commission he commissioned them To baptize. In that commission he told them that signs shall follow them that believe. And one of those signs, some of those signs that followed were casting out devils. Speaking with new tongues. Laying on hands of those that were sick. And them recovering. Amen. He commissioned them. He commissioned them concerning these things. Go. And we can do this. We can do this because he rose from the dead. We can do this because he got up. Jesus commissions them as he had been commissioned. Listen, it's not this, and we must get this right. It's not like Christ's work here, he's going to a sin, and so his work is over, and he gives some type of new program or new commissioning to his disciples. That's not the case. It's not that Christ's work is finished here, amen, in the sense of spreading the gospel, in the sense of people being delivered, in the sense of reaching for the lost. But what it is, is that Christ is saying, I'm handing you the very same baton that was handed me. I'm handing you the very same program, the very same mission that was handed to me from my Father. Don't change an iota of it. We're not making it different. We're not trying to get a different different, side view of it. No, no. I'm handing you the same mission. I'm commissioning you to go and do the same thing. Just continue the work that I've been doing. And from every generation since Jesus until now, I hope we've been passing the same baton the same mission the same voice the same prerogative the same yes we trip up when we try to change what the mission is we're we're not meant to be trying to make better the mission there's nothing wrong with the mission nothing wrong with the mission Souls still need saving. Salvation still needs to happen. Healing still needs to take place. Deliverance. Casting out demons. Still needs to happen. Oh, don't talk about Brother McGee. That's that's a back then. People just really didn't know what they were doing. Well, let me tell you. I'm sorry. You're wrong. 100% wrong. There is still... There is still possession. There is still oppression in our world. I'll tell you. Well, God help me. Jesus. Sometimes we don't see that as much take place because they're more comfortable in settings just like this. Amen. Amen. Our work, our commission, the doings are nothing more but an extension of his mission and his purpose. And So we just need to fan the flames of the same work of Christ. Don't want to tamper with it. He said, as I was sent, even so send I you. Christ wasn't asking his disciples to put together a committee and be very asking for their ingenuity or all that. He was just basically asking for their participation in something that was already proven. Their participation in an ancient pattern, you might call it. Amen. And so with that, Mark says that we must go. And The Bible says in John that Jesus then breathes on them and says, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Again, what's taking place here is really a foreshadowing foreshadowing of what is to take place in their lives on Pentecost. Foreshadowing what is to take place in their lives at Pentecost. Not only that, but the spirit or the giving of the spirit predicted here is again linked to the mission. Just as soon as he speaks to them about sending them, he speaks to them and breathes upon them and says, Receive the Holy Ghost. In other words, this, this giving of the Holy Ghost is linked to their mission. Might I even say it like this? Our mission is going to falter if it's not based on and through the Spirit. Mm. Brother Zach, this is not a mission for human Paul McGee to do. Huh? I need the leading and the guiding, the instruction of his spirit, the empowerment of his spirit, the guidance of his spirit to achieve the same mission that the Lord did in our generation in order for it to be effective. It needs to be led by the spirit. Amen. The Holy Ghost was not given to them then, but he demonstrates how it would come. He breathes on them. Notice. He breathes on them by breath, and he says, receive the Holy Ghost. Whenever you read in the New Testament Scripture, uh, breath and spirit and wind, many times it is the exact same word that can be translated either of those. Breath or spirit or wind. Matter of fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis and you read in scripture, Adam formed and created one of the last things that, that God did unto Adam is that he breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. That breath was, was where the, the, the birth of, of the new creature of Adam really happened. It's where life originated with the breath of God. Did not. Jesus, even in the book of John, tell Nicodemus in John three and verse number eight, when he's talking to him about new birth of water and spirit, did he not say the wind, which would just be as properly translated the breath or the spirit bloweth where it listeth and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. so is everyone. That is born of the Spirit. So here again in even John 3, as Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, there is this pairing of the wind or the pairing of a breath, if you will, with the birth of the Spirit. Amen. Jesus is introducing to his disciples a commission. It needs to be done by the Spirit. And he's, he's, he's giving them indication how this Spirit's going to happen, how this Spirit is going to come. Amen. We see this again. You see this through Scripture. I'm just picking a few. Ezekiel 37 and verse number 5. The wind or the breath or the spirit was instrumental in resurrecting in Ezekiel's vision a valley of very dry bones. The Bible says in Ezekiel 37 and 5, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. This is a vision, amen, that Ezekiel has in Ezekiel 37. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. Look at verse number 9. Then said he unto me. Uh, Ezekiel saying, The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, speak to me and says, Prophesy unto the wind. If I may prophesy unto the breath, prophesy unto the spirit and prophesy son of man and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood up and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. Now, here's the fact of the matter. We're talking about the breath, the wind of God, all right? When you look at verse number 11 of Ezekiel 37, the Bible describes that this this group of bones that scattered hither and thither with no sinew and no muscle and no air in them. The Bible speaks of them in verse 11 that their hope is loss and then we have an assembling of the bones and the breath breathed into them again and then God describes them that they're, they're the opening of their graves verse number 12 he describes them as though now all of this has occurred that the opening of their graves have happened amen resurrection the opening of their graves have happened So here in John and Ex E-Z-E- Ezekiel 37, amen, as well as John chapter, in John chapter number 20, there is a link between this breath, this wind, this spirit, and the new birth, and a new life, and a resurrection. And because Christ was resurrected, we have the opportunity, Jesus is laying down for us, a new birth by the spirit or by the birth of God. Amen. Someone say amen. Christ's resurrection. George Beasley Murray said this, and it's true. Christ's resurrection is actualized in man by the Holy Spirit, or if you will, by the Holy Ghost. You witness Christ's resurrection in your life by being born again by the Spirit. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. It goes on later and says, behold, all things become new. Now, after Ezekiel 37, after the dry bones were breathed into, the Bible says they became a mighty army. Before Sister Tiffany, they're scattered everywhere. And Ezekiel doesn't just call them dry. He says very. they're, They're parched, all right? We can't find muscle, tendon, we, they are in a horrible state. But once the breath gets on them, they're an exceeding great army. Listen, we need a New Testament army. Jesus was commissioning the disciples, if I may as an army we need a new testament army to herald this everlasting message now look those are two contrasting pictures scattered bones that are very dry and then an exceeding great army you have scattered bones over here but over here you have an army that is regimented you have an army that follows rank huh over here is helter skelter over here it's organized it's put together and it has a mission and a purpose what changed? the breath the wind the spirit Honey, you can take a ragtag group of anybody, but if you let the spirit enter them, the wind enter them, the power of God's presence enter them, you don't just have a ragtag group anymore. You have a mighty, mighty army. Amen. You have a mighty army. And So we need that. Huh? We need that army. We need that. But it will not, it will, will, will not happen aside from the spirit. Jesus will breathe on his disciples. That wind will come in Acts chapter number 2. And they will become alive in a spiritual realm, in a spiritual sense. They will come alive. Acts 2, let's just read it. Amen. For the purpose of reading Acts 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as unto fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance when he sent his disciples they were to preach the message of repentance Even as I was sent, so I send you. They were to preach the message of repentance that he had preached. John the Baptist had preached it. Right? Forerunner of Christ. Jesus shows up. He preaches it. He commissions his disciples do as even as I. They are to preach it. We still need to be preaching it. Because without such a message of repentance, people are ignorant about forgiveness. Without the message of repentance, people will die in their sins. The the mandate of Luke was this. It's quite simple. Repent or perish. There wasn't a gray area in between, Brother Trout. It was repent or perish. Is repentance important? Absolutely. Your spiritual life depends on it. Your hereafter depends on it. We got to herald the message in Luke 23 or rather in verse 23 of our scripture setting. We have this pairing then that takes place after he speaks to them, receiving the Holy Ghost, he tells them whatever sins they remit, they'll be done. So whatever are retained, they will be done. So, amen, there's something that we know in this pairing of these two words, remit and retain. They seem somewhat opposite, reti- remit and retain. And he's speaking to the disciples. And someone could get a very false, wrong idea of this verse and think that the disciples have the power to remit sin or to retain sin. And we know that cannot be the case because we compare Scripture with Scripture. All right? Because comparing Scripture with Scripture, we see in Matthew and we see in Mark and we see in Luke that the Bible says on several occasions in those chapters that we know that no man can forgive sins except they be God. So I can't remit your sins and I can't retain your sins. But many times it says in the Semitic languages like Hebrew and Greek and all these O to languages. Many times they would pair opposites together and it was a way to express total authority. He's letting his disciples, this is what I'm giving to you. Authority. All power was given to him in heaven and earth. And then he said, go, therefore, he gave, he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. He gave him an authority. And so if the keys to the kingdom was given to Peter to bind and to loose, then Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 19, amen, that all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Then in the next verse, or that was verse number 18, then in the next verse, he commissions them to go. Because Jesus is sharing his authority with his disciples. So the disciples couldn't literally forgive someone of their sins and take them away or keep them on somebody. But this is what could happen. They could declare someone was either forgiven or that they were unforgiven based upon their response to the gospel message that they preached. Because if I tell you According to the word of God, it takes repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost to get to heaven. And you reject that. You don't repent. You don't do any of that. You're not forgiven. I'm not saying that because I have the power to forgive you or not forgive you. I'm saying that based upon the understanding of the gospel. He says you'll remit or you'll retain. Why? Because I'm sending you forth with this same message. And there's some cities you're going to go. You're going to say peace into that city. And he says, if they accept you, that's great. If they accept your message, that's great. But if they don't, he says, you can turn away from that city, and you're to shake the dust off your feet. What are you saying? You're going to retain the same nature that you have because you rejected the one who can change it. Amen. So that that was the power of retaining and 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 and. and uh, Remitting, it was how they, they knew according to God's mandate, according to his word. Amen. And I need him to wash me. Just, as, just at the washing, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and stuff, and he came to Peter, he said, oh, you're not going to wash me, Lord. Uh-uh. He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. I need him to wash me. The second time that Jesus showed up in the room, about a week later from the first instance, Thomas is there, but the first time, the Bible tells us plainly in verse 24 that Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. Years ago, it's been years ago now, this is its probably been 10 years ago or more or less, I don't know, somewhere around there. I preached a sermon right along these verses called Your Empty Seat. Suffice it to say that The other disciples had every right to expect Thomas to be there. He's one of the disciples. That's what they commonly did, would convene in this place and area. But he was not with them. And the greater greater woe, the greater disappointment of Thomas not being there was not that he wasn't there for the other disciples, but he missed being present when Jesus showed up. I believe Thomas didn't show because typically Jesus was with them. And in his heart, Thomas, given the doubtful disputations as they all were, I believe thought that Christ was indeed dead. And let me state this. When your God is dead to you, you're not motivated to show up. When this doesn't hold the gravity of really anything that important, desire lacks. Thomas didn't show up because to him, his savior was dead. No motivation. No, he wasn't. But Thomas felt like he was. No desire. No motivation. He was dead to Thomas. And the only thing, listen to me very clearly this morning, please. The only thing that can change that feeling. Change that type of belief. Is a renewed experience of his presence. A renewed experience of his presence because even the other disciples told thomas we have seen the lord just as mary magdalene had told him and them we have seen the lord as a matter of fact in some translations of the scripture it means that they kept on telling thomas they were really trying to convince him thomas we know you wasn't there last week Thomas, we know you wasn't there last week. And we know you think that God, we we know that you think that your Savior is dead somewhere and he's over there in that tomb. We we know you think all of that. But we've seen him. We've experienced him. we felt him. He came in when the doors were shut. Mary Magdalene. And they keep on and keep on trying to convince him and tell him, but listen, none of that will do until you have a renewal yourself. None of that will do until you have renewal yourself. And so Thomas then even came to a place of an epiphany in his own life, and he admitted, you know what, I need more than just seeing him. Thomas says, I need to feel him. Oh, come on, somebody. Some of us this morning need more than just being able to walk in double doors, sit on a pew, and sit through a song service, and sit through a preaching. Somebody here today needs to feel the Lord. Somebody here today needs to experience the Lord again. Somebody here today needs to speak in new tongues all over again. You need a renewal and a refreshing of His Spirit. Your desire is gone. You're just here because that's what you do on Sunday. But you need a renewing of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. Hello, Mosiah. Brother Mason, it makes me think back to that story years ago, and I don't remember the full context and exactly who it was. I know who it was that it happened to. It was Anthony Mangan, and he had some elderly old man of God. It might have even been his father, but he went to him, and that man asked him, he said, When's the last time you spoke in tongues? He said, Anthony, has it been that long? He said, Speak in tongues, speak in tongues. What he you said, you need a renewal of the Spirit. You need a refreshing of God. Why? Because there's a link of power. When you don't believe your God is important or alive, you'll shut down. You'll be unmotivated. You'll have no desire. Church will be a hymn and a hoe. But we need, oh my God, we need the power of His Spirit. He'll drive you, He'll commission you, He'll make you come alive an exceeding great army. Hello bo shandar ro ro Woo can we raise our hands right here Hello bo raba ta Ye la mushia ma haya Hello maula la Thomas didn't see the empty tomb like John did, like Peter did. He had not heard his voice called by the Lord like Mary Magdalene had. He hadn't seen the resurrected Lord like the others had. Because he was not with them when Jesus came. So all he is dependent upon right now are the reports of others for his faith. The report of others for his faith. And throughout the Bible, many many respond confidently, sometimes through the pages of Scripture during Jesus' earthly ministry, they respond confidently to signs, miracles, wonders, but they refuse to exercise any faith without a sign. And Thomas is among them. Again, a week later, Jesus comes and he stands in their midst despite once again the shutting of the doors and the locking of the doors. Again, he's tearing down any preconceived notions about barriers and about their insecurities and so on and so forth. And Jesus tells Thomas, he says, Thomas, fill me. Now, whether he did or not, I'm not sure. It's not those though, we have recorded right here in this text that he did. However, we do have recorded in 1 John 1, as he's recounting all these things of the Lord, he says that he that was from the beginning, which our eyes have seen and our hands have handled, is what John recalls. Yet in verse number 29, Jesus says, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast Believed, And Thomas exclaims that, that profound phrase or sentence, my Lord and my God. Many times we would ascribe to Thomas a doubter and perhaps one of the most outrageous doubters. Yet he utters one of the most profound confessions. Because calling Jesus Christ, his Lord and Master, which is what Lord is, and God means that his words then convey the true meaning that John in his gospel has been trying to say and it conveys the true meaning of what the resurrection is revealing the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Thomas' declaration of my Lord and my God ties this book up from the end all the way back to the beginning where John 1 and 1 said in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and verse 14 says and the Word was made flesh and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Thomas' declaration ties this thing all the way back to the beginning of the Gospel. And Jesus, yes, applauds him. And he applauds others for believing upon him by having seen him. But Jesus goes just a step further. He says, the blessing of believing when seeing will not be an option per se for future generations they are going to believe without having seen the nails in my hands. They're going to believe without thrusting a hand, so to speak, in my side. Remember the writer of the Gospel of John. Remember John? This goes all the way back uh, to, to, to one of the verses, verse number 8, I think it is. Remember, John finally enters the tomb. He sees the grave close. He sees the napkin right wrapped together by itself. And the Bible says, before he ever saw the Lord, he believed. He said in the future, there's going to be people, if you will, similar to John. There ain't going to be some great sign, not some great wonder, that's going to grab them and they're going to put their faith in. They're going to have faith without having seen. And the apostle Paul encourages the church, listen to me, and I'm hastening to a close, I really am trying. The apostle paul encourages the church at corinth he encourages them into a relationship with the lord a relationship with the lord of a believing without seeing second corinthians 5 and verse 6 therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body we are absent from the lord we use this a lot in funeral services right we do haven't we bishop to 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 be to be uh, in these bodies, we are absent from the Lord. Other verses say, though, uh, to be present with the Lord is to be absent from the body. Remember, there was just the shell there that lays before us. But he says we are at home in the body. We are absent from the Lord. And so when we are in these bodies, we're absent from the Lord. We don't have the privilege, if you will, of sight. We don't have the privilege of seeing. And so in parentheses in the next verse, this is the statement that comes. We walk by faith. Not by sight. What are you saying? As long as you're living in these earthly bodies, you're absent from the Lord. You don't have the privilege that Thomas had. You don't have the privilege that John and Peter had. You don't have the privilege that Mary had. But I tell you what I do have. I have the witness and the record accounts that John and Matthew and Mark and Luke recorded for us. And if I can read the witnesses of these words, I I can walk by faith and not by sight. I can walk by what they said, what they divulged, and believe and have the same experience that they had. Amen. We are presently absent from the Lord in these earthly bodies. But we can walk by faith. I believe because I believe the scripture is true. I believe it's been handed down to us from generation to generation. It has. I believe this thing before it was in written form. It was on the mouth of every Old Testament Jew as oral tradition and oral instruction, and finally Moses pinned it down into words. I believe that. Amen. I believe there really was a flood and that Noah built an ark. I believe there really was a tower of Babel that reached to the heavens and the people were trying to build something that would reach the heavens so that they wouldn't have to be scattered over the earth. I believe that Daniel found himself in a lion's den and he would have been consumed had it not been for the hand of God. I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace that was seven times hotter, but their skin was not singed. They didn't have the smell of smoke upon them. And when they came out, the only thing that was burned were the ropes that were placed upon them. I believe that. I believe there was 120 people that was gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost 50 days past Passover and I believe there was a breath and a wind that showed up and fell upon them and they spoke in tongues as the spirit gave the others and I believe if I've been born again of the water and the spirit when he comes I'm going with him I'm walking by faith Hallelujah And so that's why John finishes up this chapter saying all these signs were given and there were more that could be given. But none could be any more important than the final sign of the resurrection of the Lord that He gave unto them. Romans 10, stand with me, I'll hasten. Romans 10, verse 16 and 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Verse 17. So then, we love this. So then, faith. Are you listening to me? We many times, Brother Mason, just cherry pick verse 17, and that's all right. I get it. But I think it brings importance for us this morning, coupling it with verse 16, because he's talking about not everybody believed or not everybody obeyed the gospel. Because they didn't believe our report. Not talking about something seen. Not talking about a sign or a wonder. He said, everybody didn't obey because they didn't believe our report, our message, our witness. And then he goes on and says, so then faith cometh by hearing. Blessed are you, Thomas, that you've seen and believe. But more blessed are they that do not see and yet will believe. So faith. Come up by hearing and hearing by the word. We have a report every Sunday morning. We have a report every Sunday night. We have a report every Wednesday night. Every time you crack open your dusty Bible at home and you read it during the week, you get a report. He said, all have not believed because they didn't believe our report. He says, they come up by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. As long as you pick up this book, you're getting the report. You're getting the same witness. You're getting the same testimony that John gave, that Jesus gave, that we ought to be giving. I'm asking somebody today. Simply believe. Simply believe. Those who don't obey. Seem to be those that need more than just a word. They need a voice. They need a touch. In essence, again, John tells us, just accept this record. These things. Believe just as he did before he saw Jesus. I close with this verse today. Hebrews 4 and 2. For unto us was the gospel preached... As well unto them. So we have two groupings of people. One is the us's, the other is the them's. Unto us was the gospel preached as well unto them. Everybody, both the us and the them, got the gospel preached to them. But the word preached did not profit them. The other group, not being mixed with faith and them that heard it. What do we have? We have people that's walking by faith and people that's leaning on another miracle, another sign, another wonder. I'm not they still happen. I'm not refuting that. But I'm saying they don't have to happen in order for us to believe. Because I have enough record between the leathered bounds of this cover that's telling me. The works and the life and the ministry of Christ telling me prophecy of Old Testament that's already been fulfilled in New Testament and some still yet to come. Do you think it's going to happen? Yes. I have enough fulfilled prophecy in this book to give me faith that the prophecies not yet fulfilled. Will be. Because I believe. We bow our heads across this place today. Hallelujah, Jesus. thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username f-a-c-m-c again that's f-a-c-m-c thank you and have a blessed day